Well, do keep that passage open in front of you as we continue this mini-series in the Book of Psalms. Uh, before uh, the Connollys come next week from Cara, uh, we have Vision Sunday and then we're into, in term one, the Book of Daniel and understanding how to live as a small minority in a culture that is hostile and different uh, to the people of God. Uh, But today we're looking at Psalm 139. So let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you that you speak to us when your word is read. And we pray that as we look again at this passage, at Psalm 139, you would help us to see you in all your greatness and goodness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my mind and in the mist of tears. I hid from him and under running laughter, upvisted hopes I sped and shot precipitated adown gigantic glooms of chasm fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy they beat, and a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. Those were the first few lines of the epic poem Hound of Heaven by Francis Thompson. And uh, if you're wanting to read the full 182 lines, you can later on today by just Googling it and you can have a read of it. Uh, It is a very famous poem that speaks of God pursuing the uh, poet like a hound on a chase, but it's a pursuit of love. And it was inspired, that poem, that famous poem, partly by Psalm 139. And Psalm 139 is a bit about, some of it is about people running away from God. I wonder if that's something that you've ever wanted to do, if you've ever wanted to run away and escape from God. Uh, If so, then Psalm 139 is for you. Let's have a look at it again in verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too lofty for me to attain. That first six verses or the first stanza or the first verse of this psalm that King David has written, we see in this first stanza that the the God of the universe knows David. He really knows David. Um, the, The God that's there knows everything there is to know about him. Absolutely everything. It is omniscience 
made personal. For verse 4 says that even the words that he's yet to speak, God knows. I've met uh, spouses that uh, can finish each other's sentences. I don't know if you've ever seen that phenomenon. Um, And sometimes you get siblings who do the same thing. But that's when you've got half the sentence to go on. Can you imagine someone who knows what you're going to say every time before you say it? That's incredible, isn't it? Uh, And we see as we go through the psalm that he knows even more about us. In fact, God knows the psalmist completely. And if he knows the psalmist that well, well, it stands to the reason he knows each of us that well. And this knowledge of God about us is both unnerving and yet also strangely comforting. You see, it's unnerving that anyone would know everything about us. All our deep and darkest secrets. All the things that no one else knows about because we don't want other people to know about those things. We want to keep them hidden. All the things that perhaps we've forgotten about ourselves or are busy trying to forget about ourselves and what we've done. We would rather, often, that that would not be brought out into the open, but would stay just quietly hidden away. And so it can be unnerving to think that God knows all of it. Not just a little bit, but all of it. But it's also strangely comforting as well because God loves us despite knowing all that stuff about us. Uh, He knows all about our sin uh, and still loves us. As it says in Romans 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God knows all about our sin and loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross and pay the penalty for that sin. Rather than being rejected by God, we're saved by God. Uh, I wonder if you know the phenomena where someone knows you so well and they know kind of like your annoying habits and your flaws and yet they still love you. It's a lovely feeling, that, because you feel comfortable around them, and you feel like, I don't have to put on any front whatsoever. I can just be me, and they like me, or at least they're willing to put up with me. We'll settle for put up with, won't we? That's a wonderful feeling. Well, imagine just... Try and conceive that God knows literally everything that is negative about us, as well as the positive, and yet still loves us. Not that he wants us to wallow in our sin. He wants us to change, and by his Holy Spirit, he is changing us to be more like Jesus. But he doesn't reject us because of all those things that, we have done or not done that is really comforting 
But if you were not finding it comforting and you were to try and escape God, how would you go? Well, David, our psalmist, he talks about that in the next verse of the psalm or the song. Have a look at verse 7 to 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So the psalmist now talks about the possibility of fleeing the God who knows him completely. And he says it is absolutely 100% futile to try and flee. For the Lord who knows him completely is also the God who is ever-present everywhere and so wherever the psalmist might flee to well he'll get there and find that god is there already Um, and he covers the directions he goes up to the heavens the farthest star he goes down into the depths and that could be the depths of the sea or it could be the depths uh, underground he goes to the east where the dawn is And then the far side of the sea is what direction from Israel? The west. So it's from the furthest east to the furthest west. Wherever you go, whenever you get there, you'll find God there. It's a bit like your shadow. Wherever you go, your shadow follows. Here's the thing about the shadow. If you turn off the light, it goes, doesn't it? But we read in those final verses in the stanza that that doesn't even work for God. That even the darkness is as light and he can still see us. There is nowhere you can run to to escape God. And just in case we had any doubts whether this was just a theory or poetic license on the part of King David here, we have a real-life historical example of someone trying to do exactly that. And you might remember him. His name starts with J and ends in Ona. you don't work that out, then have another coffee with me after the service and I'll explain it. But Jonah tried that, didn't he? He tried to go to the far side of the sea, to the end of what then was the known world. And of course, on the boat, he found out that God was there. The ever-present God was there. Like the hound of heaven. It is impossible to flee. And friends, we can't underestimate how countercultural this idea was at the time that it was written. 
in the ancient world, the gods belonged to peoples and areas, or usually nation states. And the idea that any god might be ever-present everywhere was a kind of weird idea that Israel had, or that was the Bible had. It's another example of the Bible saying something about God that would have been hard for the initial hearers to accept or even to understand. It's certainly not something that anyone would make up and expect anyone to believe. And so it's yet another clue that tells us that the Bible is trustworthy and true. But it also tells us that it is futile to try to flee from the ever-present God. There is no escaping the hound of heaven. Because wherever you run to, he's already there. And the psalmist knows that running is futile and then Jonah empirically proves it. So friends, why run from the ever-present God? And if you're running from God this morning, if that's where you are at, then let me encourage you to stop. Because it's absolutely futile. You cannot escape. And what's more, it's unnecessary. For the ever-present God loves you. Despite knowing everything about you. For as we see in the next part of the psalm, he's personally committed to you because he made you. Look at verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. These verses tell us that God didn't just make the world, he personally made each of us. You notice all the personal pronouns in these verses. It shows us that God isn't some distant God who set the world in motion and then just left it running like a machine, walked away and forgot about it. That's not the God of the Bible. No, he personally made each and every one of us. And that means he's personally committed to David, the psalmist, and to us. Indeed, the stanza ends in verses 17 and 18 with David describing how precious it is to him the innumerable thoughts that God must have had to make him. And that's just him. I, I, I hope you're getting an idea of the hugeness of God in this. That he does that for each and every human being that ever exists. But friends, 
if you've ever wondered if God values you, then these words in the psalm shouldn't leave you in any doubts. God personally created you. You matter to him. And by extension, God personally created others by the same process. And they matter to him. And therefore, we should treat them accordingly. But then David remembers a problem he has. It's there in the last stanza. Verse 19. If only you, God, would slay the wicked... Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. And David remembers the problem of, of evil. The problem of justice having not yet been done in the world. And he talks at length about those who hate God and yet they have not had justice. They are flourishing. And David in these verses cries out and asks God to remedy this situation and finally bring justice. And the strongness of David's language in this last stanza may be a surprise to us. We may be thinking, wow, that's a bit strong. Uh, But we should note as we read his psalm that it is a psalm, it's a song, and therefore not a precise thing. It's a little have vivid language in it, naturally. But also we should note that in the last two verses, David looks at his own life and sees his own sin and realises his own need for correction. Nonetheless, David recognises that God is a holy and just God and so therefore must deal with sin and in time those who continue in their rebellion against God. And he longs for the day when God will deal justice. As we saw last week, that also involves salvation for God's people. Judgment on the enemies of God is always the flip side to salvation for God's people. And we know from Acts 17 that God has set a day when justice will happen. And he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, which is Jesus. And so we are counting down to that judgment day when all will be judged and justice will finally happen. And that is both a comfort, for we know that justice is going to happen, but it's also a spur for those of us who have been forgiven through Jesus, to pray for people who do not yet trust in Jesus, that they would come to faith in Jesus and that we would then invite them to hear the good news of Jesus. For if they don't trust Jesus, then they too will face the judgment of God, the justice of the ever-present God, of which there is no escape. Friends, in this psalm, we have covered today in the message a tiny portion. So let me encourage you to go home and read Psalm 139 
uh, either with someone else or uh, by yourself. And, and be amazed again at the greatness and majesty of God. He is far more powerful and wise than we can even fully comprehend with our minds. He knows us completely. And yet, he still loves us. He is ever-present, no matter where we are. And he made each of us personally. And so we know that we matter to him. And he is just. And he will fulfill our longing for justice that can't be met by anyone else. So... Let us not run away from God, but instead run towards God, our good and great God. Let us trust Him and love Him, praise Him and serve Him with our lives. Let's pray and ask for His help.